You are listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Game, set, podcast on the Sports Podcasting Network. You seem at home on the court. Let's say that I've played around. And welcome to Game Set Podcast. A sad day here in Canada, but tired a nice and re- sad day. Yeah, tired and sad indeed. Uh, both Kevin and I were up at three thirty in the morning Eastern Standard Time. Uh, Kevin was still up, I assume. I was up uh, to watch uh, Raunick uh, and Murray. Um, good start for the Canadian. Not as good of a finish. Uh, perhaps an injury slowing him down, but nonetheless. A very promising run uh, in both this month in Brisbane and in the Australian Open to get to a Grand Slam semifinal, his second of his career, really pushing Murray to the brink in the five sets. I, I think that this has to be one of those moral victories for uh, for uh, Milos. Kevin, what do you think? I have to agree. Uh, Andy Murray, I'll talk about this later, but watching him play in that match, going through every possible emotion as a human being, every two seconds, from elation to anger to, like, wondering what's going on, wondering who the hell is that guy on the other side? I remember clearly in that first set, mumbling to him, gesturing towards running, saying, who's that guy? Who's that guy passing the ball like this to me? Who's that guy destroying all my chances? Yeah, that was the first set. But uh, just a wonderful match, a wonderful tennis display on both sides. It's, I have to say, the two summer finals, the Federer and Djokovic and Raonic and Murray, are maybe the two best match I've seen in a long, long time, Dwayne. Yeah, well, Djokovic, for a different reason, the dominance there certainly was other, outside of the third set, a uh, complete cruise control for him in terms of his dominance. And they were saying that on the broadcast last night, that certainly as much as it was glorious to watch uh, Raonic and uh, Murray battle it out, they are high, huge underdogs in that final. Is there any way Murray can can keep his game up there again, Kevin, in your mind? If he gets angry very early on and gets personal, maybe. That's the only way you see Murray get involved into a game like last night in uh, in such a degree. When he got to the second set and he started yelling at the referee saying, Look, dude, my opponent took too much time. He did not did the challenge in a timely manner. And start getting personal, start doing that fist pump, start yelling at Moresmo on his bo- on his uh, on his box. But then he started playing better. Murray, when he puts it personal, when he puts a little anger into his play, it seems like it focuses him. And it maybe channels his energy better. He's able to use that anger on the court, able to uh, do statement shots like that passing he made. He was 40 love. And he went for a hard backhand passing that Milos couldn't get to in that second set. That was literally a statement saying, dude, I'm not going to let you get all the points. Even if I can let go this one, I'm going to fight for every single one because I can. And we saw a difference in that game after that. Yeah, Milos came back and won another set after and lost the last two. But the the end of second set was uh, literally, uh, I think it was a moment to remember for any Murray because uh, I think he got a little something out of that game match too versus Raonic. Yeah, look, it, it, this is maybe an experience, an experience versus not experienced type of situation too. As much as you know, Milish is experienced in the sense that he's played in a lot of top level tournaments, played in a couple Grand Slam semifinals now, but it's nothing compared to a guy like Andy Murray who has now uh, been near the pinnacle of the game for for over five six years now. So it's uh, certainly that plays a role. 
Uh, to talk about the Canadian again first, uh, a little bit more, I should say. We've talked a lot about him this tournament. He really has been a story in this tournament, as has Andy Murray, with all of the drama off the court that we talked about a lot in the last uh, the last episode. And uh, that that maybe is, you know, people were talking about whether that was a distraction, whether that was going to hurt Murray, but maybe it's it's actually it's, fueling him a little yeah. bit. I think it helped him. Yeah. I think that so, the uh, wanting, the, the fighting for not just yourself, but for something else, it can do wonders for an athlete sometimes. And if you feel you have a cause to fight for, which he might does with his stepfather and his wife uh, being pregnant and the health of his stepfather. Uh, yeah, I think it does maybe give you something else to fight for than just that uh, simple selfish victory. Yeah. But back to Milos. Uh, 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 one thing, Dwayne, uh, Milos's yeah. net game. Come on. Carlos Moya and Piatti. Moya is the counsel of the coaching staff. He's the one that's not necessarily there every day, but he comes back and gives uh, pointers and uh, advice to Raonic to be more efficient in his play. Piatti is, no, not Nacho. We're talking about uh, Piatti, the tennis coach. The one that is with uh, Raonic every single day in the dark days of winter, getting ready for this tournament. He was the one being at the net with Raonic and getting him ready to have the confidence at the net to be not just predictable, but to be unpredictable, to be able to block the net. And one thing we talked about the last show, Dwayne, I talked to you, with Raonic's size, if he's able to place himself in a manner that he blocks the entire court, like he did with Murray in the first uh, set and a half of the second well, Murray had nothing to do. He, he tried to lob him, and he only did it once in the first two sets because he couldn't get that lob time because Milos is so tall, and he's so wide with the wingspan he has. And now that he has a net presence, he can be something to reckon with. And it took a long time for Murray to figure out how to beat Raonic. It was a timing of the serve to be able to return it, but not just that. It was able to for him to get those passing and lob to pass because Raonic for the majority of the first two sets was able to block that net. Yeah. It's the best I've ever seen him play. And I, oh, I've watched Milos. Yeah. I've watched Milos for, well, four or five years now, pretty consistently, a lot of matches. And, uh, Whereas in the past, he was really frustrating to watch. <laughs> if you're cheering for Milos, he could be incredibly frustrating to watch. As we joked earlier on the show, uh, like a couple shows ago, he might as well have 7-6 tattooed on his back, right? Uh, that was Milos's game. He would serve and he would Third save, or hold the serve, and he would try and get it to tiebreaker against the better teams. He would maybe get one break in there. Uh, he's breaking, I think they said, at 35% in this tournament uh, yeah. prior to the Murray match. So that hey. that's really incredible. Dwayne, the first point of the game, the first point of the first set, break roundage 40 love yeah and the second he's down love 40 and he comes back to win to nothing it was what a way to start a game for uh Milos Raonic but another thing that's important is his confidence uh, we all know he has a good serve he was not necessarily having the best first serve in this match and he was able to work his second in there to the body which actually was helpful to him but not as much as against Monfils the one thing that's frustrating like you mentioned when watching Milos and still that's the amount of unforced errors. The amount of balls in the net when it's not the time like the ball that cost him the second set. It wasn't unforced errors. At one point, it was 41-13 to 13 for Raonic for the unforced errors. If you want to be in the top four, that's the one point of your game that you have to work on. You cannot do that many unforced errors. You will lose a game, and that's what happened. Can you imagine if he kept, if he kept close to the amount of unforced that Murray did around the 20s and not the 50s? Well, the match would have been totally different, especially in the last two sets. Yeah, I, I think it's almost a benefit. I mean, I'm sure he'll go get a few more points and a little bit more money in the next couple of months to get his ranking a little bit up on the hard courts. But 
to get focused on the clay almost um, very very soon from now might actually be the greatest thing that could happen to Milos. He's shown great improvement to now, but to, to get on a surface where his dominant weapons are a little less dominant to force him to even great more greatly improve that aspect of his game might be a beneficial thing for him as he, as he leads into the French next now five months away. But uh, certainly uh, the, the next big event that they'll be looking for. So, Kevin, I, I do like the idea that he'll be forced to really work on those aspects of this game. Because to me, Milos's greatest chance to win a Grand Slam has always been Wimbledon, and um, I'm sure that now that we've seen him in the Aussie semi open semifinals, I should say that uh, that uh, Wimbledon's got to be in his mind now. Wimbledon is something special for him because he had success there when he was a, a junior, just like Genie. But not just that, for him, Wimbledon is the one service, like you mentioned, where you wouldn't think that it actually helps you as having a very powerful serve and a lot of stop spin. But if you think about it, the hard court, it, it's very hard to gauge the speed and the bounce. But with grass, you get a certain unpredictability factor, plus the natural aspect of the court being really sleek to start the tournament, being very nice. And at the end, it's more clay dirt mixed with some grass. And you have that uh, different feel. You have to feel the court. And with the grass, the ball is not going to bounce as fast, but it's going to kick up because of that top spin that Milos does have. So for him, at Rimbledon and being able to do the serve volley because of that kick of the ball when he serves, now him having a serve volley game could really, really be a very interesting when we get to this summer to Wimbledon and to Ralagaros a couple of weeks before that. Yeah, yeah, I, I love watching the clay tournaments. Uh, I the the court that I learned to play on, I had my my lessons on when I was a kid was actually clay. So I've always enjoyed watching clay. It's rare to have clay court in Canada, but uh, I was lucky enough to be close to one. But there's about uh, five five centers in the whole country that has clay court that are uh, uh, ATP uh, regulated. Yeah, I don't know if this was ATP regulated, but I certainly I can do my slide and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I love I play, slide. I, there's one that well, the training center in the University Montreal has one that is very similar and though since the installation of those clay uh, courts tennis canada and uh, all the athletes in tennis canada have become a lot better on clay including genie and milos because of those infrastructures that tennis canada has put forward to help those athletes and clay court is one of those examples that you see in montreal now yeah uh real quickly before we move on uh on kevin and i's uh, olympic and uh, amateur sports show at five rings we've talked a lot about tennis canada and the work they've done on the long-term athlete development side of things and, and sort of how they changed their their approach about eight nine years ago uh that's why you're seeing guys like milos and and uh genie and all these players plus if you look in the in the junior ranks you always see canadians doing well in those now too that has to do with the uh, the, the change that's happened there so if you want to uh, uh look those back up uh, we have all the descriptions are there on our five rings account that that might be something that interests you if you're a tennis fan out there and i don't know why you wouldn't would be listening to us if you're not a tennis fan i don't really understand why that would happen but and uh, at the same time if you go to five rings the last two shows we did we did talk a lot about the match fixing allegations it's something that's bigger than tennis so we use the five rings platform to talk about it so if you're a game set podcast fan a big tennis fan i suggest you go listen to the latest two five rings because you'll get a lot of information and background story on those allegations and uh the definition of what spot fixing is as well so uh go listen to this 
All right, uh, let's move on from the men's draw now. And uh, I'm going to go to the men's doubles draw because there's a Canadian in it. And uh, there is a Canadian in the final. Uh, Daniel Nestor, the ageless wonder, uh, the man who I think may be the most underrated Canadian athlete of all time. Uh, he is in a Grand Slam final for the first time in like, three seasons, I believe. I'd have to look that up, or look that up, but I'm not going to right now, so forgive me. But uh, he certainly isn't back into a final for the first time in a while with Stepanek. Uh, they were unseated in this tournament. That probably has to do with the lack of time playing together. Uh, they're playing the Brazilian Soares and Andy Murray's brother. Good good week for the Murrays, eh? Not bad uh, at all. Two finals. Yeah, Jamie Murray there. So that, that is a match that, uh, that we'll probably um, make an effort to watch tonight. I'm not going to get much sleep this weekend, Kevin. Now it's oh. at 3 a.m. we have the, the women's final too. But uh, you're right, Daniel Nestor, Stepanek going for another slam title for Nestor. Already a... Uh, one of the best, if not the best doubles player of all time. Uh, if you're looking at the, the the amount of trophies, this trophy case is bigger than my house. So, yeah, you have a player like him going in 2016 to get another Olympic medal and some slam titles to add to his collection in his swan song, probably. And it starts well with a final at the Australian Open. What else could you ask for? Maybe a... If maybe if it was against Sock and Pospisil would have a little something special for Nestor, but outside of that, I think it's uh it's probably it feels like wow uh, something special because the fact that we're unseated they did not have necessarily the amount of games together to get ready the chemistry it's really important in doubles but because of the time they played together years ago now they're back they they figured their 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 uh, point of uh, uh, oh, fuck what's my word give me a second. They're finding their marks on the court, and it really shows. And the final in the first Grand Slam tournament of the year for Nestor, well, it bodes well for the rest of the year, Dwayne. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll be watching that one. That'll be the early one tonight. I'm, I haven't checked TSN's schedule, but I would imagine that they will get that one on live, even if it is stadium experience. Although the final, they probably will have commentators on there. Um, the women, uh, you have some stats down on uh, Hingis and uh, Marista, the, uh, the champions there. They're uh, their dominant uh, team in the women's uh, doubles right now. You want to talk about those stats that you, you gathered, Kev? Well, Martina Ingus, a blast from the past. If you've been following the women's game around the mid-90s to late-90s, uh, Martina Ingus, when she was really young, became a sensation and number one player for a long time on the women's side. Uh, and then she changed, she revolutionized, basically, the way women's tennis was. It became younger, and now it's a little different now. But, yeah, Martina Ingus still plays. She's a double mainstay. She plays with uh, Mirva from India. And right now, those two together are on a 36-game winning streak, winning tournaments here and there. But that 36-win streak gave them the Australian Open versus great opposition. And they are doing, for two double specialists, really good on a, a circuit that sometimes uh, players like Serena or other comes in and have results in a double on the women's side. Uh, this time, it's double specialists, and she has become... Quite a story. Going, she has been exiled for years. She came back for years, tried a single run, did not work out. Focused on a double, and now thirty-six game winning streak, a record, and just quite a story for Martina Ingus in the women's double side. It's kind of nice if you're a fan of the sport and been a fan of the sport your whole life to see um, older. And I, I, you know, Martina Ingus is not an old woman by any matter. Any no, she's like in her sp- early thirties, but because she's been there since her mid fifteens, like 16, she feels she's like, she's old, but she's not. Alive. Yeah. But still to see 
athletes be able to extend their careers through playing doubles is something that that's quite pleasant for someone who enjoys uh, you know, nostalgia and watching the heroes that they watched in the past. And I think that that's a great aspect to this and, and something that makes the doubles game more valuable. And I still... What about the Legends Tour? Have you seen this? Yeah. I, I You can see Agassi Sampras playing against each other now. And uh, Andre might be even likes the game of tennis now. Who knows? Exactly. <laughs> all, yeah, it, it's it's fun. And uh, I know that uh, at the Rogers Cup, uh, the, which is the branded name of the Canadian Open here, uh, those who know that, I just hate calling it the Rogers so anyway. But uh, they uh, they always start with a Legends game. Um, that's that's a lot of fun because people like to watch the old names. And uh, it's a sport where maybe you can't run it down anymore. Maybe you can't go over two weeks anymore. But you don't ever really lose your your feel for the ball, your feel for shots. And you can still make incredible shots well into your well into your, uh, your later years, Kevin. So uh, it's yeah. always fun to watch those those guys play. But uh, this is uh, not anyone near, anywhere close to her legend years yet. She's still on the tour battling it. I wish they'd show more doubles on TV. I think it's unfortunate they don't because it's a lot of fun to watch. Well, I have to say this week I've watched a lot more doubles than I ever had on TV. And I think we have to thank the five channels of TSN for that and the lack of hockey in their network. But... Uh, the fact that I'm able to watch post and Sock when I, they lost, I was watching it. I watched Nestor Step in a couple of games this week, and the women's doubles final will be on, was on TV last night. Well, you know what? There is a lot of doubles on TV still. We just sometimes have to be used to the schedule because it's different times, but it's there. You just have to find it. Sometimes it's not live. It's postponed and delayed after, but if you really want to, you can find it. All right. The, the final final that we haven't talked about yet is, of course, the women's, which will go... Uh, tomorrow tonight. Uh, I'm not sure what time it is in Australia right now. It's it's tomorrow in Australia, so today I guess. Uh, Williams and Kerber. Uh, any chance for the upset, Kevin? I say nope. I say it's going to be six one six one done over with it. Uh, Serena's going to totally dominate. Just the fact that she just continued the run she's on. She just totally just blasted through that tournament, and I think she's just one step closer to that Grand Slam title. Yeah, yeah. The I think she has to be, as we've said on a couple shows already, that her motivation is internal right now. It's about winning that. Um, that she wants the five, like you said. The yeah, the career. Show. Yeah, the 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 calendar Grand Slam with the extra. Uh, the Serena which Slam. Be- she wanted to dub it the Serena Slam. If she's never going to admit it, it's probably only in her mind, and it's fine that way. But she wants to do the five, and she wants to name it the Serena Slam for posterity. Because nobody else has ever done that. And if she does it, I don't think nobody else could. Maybe Djokovic, but outside of that, I don't think it will ever be duplicated. Is there, a, is there in any Olympic discipline this year, moving a little bit towards our other shows now, a athlete that is more of a slam dunk gold medal favorite than Serena Williams? If she's I, I healthy in that so. tournament. Yeah, you, you'd be hard-pressed. I would have to sit down, and I will sit down and start to do this kind of research in the in the days ahead very like soon. You're saying if you had to bet amount that you need to win 100%, who would you bet on? I would probably bet Serena to win the, the, the Olympics. Yeah, I, I don't know off time. I think it's hardcore down there, right? You know? Uh, uh, well, it's in, yeah, I think so, yes. Yeah, I'd have to I'd have to verify that. I can't imagine. For sure it's not. No, exactly. I'm for sure it's hard. Yeah. So it'd be hardcore. So that's it's yeah, it seems unlikely, barring injury, that she's gonna be touched this year. You never know. And mentally it is tough to be at the top, be that far alone, to be that and pushed. I, I might give uh, more than one one. I might give it like three, two <laughs> or something, but uh certainly uh, that will be um 
I might tape that one and watch it tomorrow morning <laughs> rather than stay up for it. But we'll uh, we'll certainly get the, that review there and watch. And, uh, we'll watch it for you. And we'll talk about it later. What do you think about the other final, the big one, Djokovic versus Murray? One versus two. The logic has been respected. So heading into the final, do you think the logic will continue to be respected with a Djokovic that looks like he's untouchable right now? Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I, I think Djokovic is, is one of the, the greatest athletes currently performing at the peak of his powers in, in any sport anywhere. Um, is he the I best think of all that, time? Like, uh, Andy Murray said something in the post uh, pre-game like, a montage there was yesterday. There was a Milos, a couple good comments, but Murray said, playing with top three best of all times maybe hasn't been easy for me because you never get that one shot of being number one. That's what he wants. Is Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer like the three best of all time maybe? I think Federer is the best of all time, yes. Um, I I don't think there's much doubt about that. I I would say that, you know, like in any sport, uh, sports evolve and they get better and better. I I look at a guy like like Milos, I think he would have been number one in the world 15, 20 years ago. Uh, his game is just like that. But you, it's like apples to oranges, right? You can't really compare eras to eras. But right now, um, yeah, Djokovic might be might have taken the game to a level it's never been to before. He hasn't sustained it long enough yet to be considered mm-hmm. the greatest ever in my mind. Um, I think that's a debate that's still a few years away uh, from from being easily easy to argue. But um, mm-hmm. you know, certainly when you look at Federer's career and what he's done over the longevity, I would have to give him the nod as as maybe the best. Sampras would be up there as well. Um, for similar reasons, he just did it for such a long period of time, and then you go all the way back to the. The early days, I don't really – I'm not old enough to remember McEnroe and Borg and guys like that beyond highlight clips. But, uh, you know, it's hard to compare eras. But certainly what Federer has done for a long period of time has to rank up there. And in terms of the top three, I, I don't think there's ever been a top three, four, five that's been as strong as this. No. So when you're looking at players like Murray and like Routich and like Nishikori and Stan Marinko who are trying to break in, it's not that easy because you have like a top three, like the, the Mount Rushmore of tennis is basically almost all still living right now because of just the amount of wins in the camps of Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer. If those three are in a tournament, you really have to put on something special to win that tournament. That's uh, we didn't talk about Nadal outside of the preview. And oh, I think maybe, Nadal, yeah, we could yeah, go there. He went out real early. I mean, is he done? Did you look at him doing? Here, I'm just going to mention, it's all my perception here, but he never looked as skinny as he did this year. If you look at his neck, it's half the size what it used to be. Just seems weird to me. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'll say. But uh, yeah, it does feel weird to me the way he's looking right now. Yeah. That's without looking at his game, just looking at him physically. So it's weird. It's a a broken down body and, you know, we we won't speculate beyond that, but it's... uh, yeah, I, I think he is. I mean, the French is obviously his best surface. So if he doesn't take a run there, I I would have to think that uh, that he might be at a point now where when you've been as high as he has in the game, it's very difficult. Outside of a very few people, very very, it's very rare that an athlete that's been at the very top of the game is satisfied with being just a mediocre after that yep. to, to grind it out. So, I don't think there's a middle ground for a guy like that. He's either going to be competing for for titles or he's going to retire. Um, and it has to be getting close to a decision like that for him to be going out that quickly, for him to not really be a factor for almost two years now. I would yep. say, really, outside of the outside of the glance here and there of him coming back from injury and re injuring himself. Yeah, it's been two years now since he was 
a, a dominant presence on the circuit. And I think it's a shame in a way, but I think uh, without trying to speculate and uh, do allegations here, just his playing style and the way he basically taxed his body when he was playing at a high level, I think it caught up to him. And over the last two years, that's what we've seen. Uh, maybe his different demeanor, his different behavior right now on the court is trying to uh, work around the injuries and work around his weakness as a actual human body because of his breaking point. We'll see. That it's going to be interesting to see if there's an actual progression. He can still have time to recover, get better, and be good for the clay season, which then will be the right time to see where he's at because we know his... Uh, benchmark what is we know where he's supposed to be on clay and this year will tell us a lot to where he actually is all right um on that note i think we'll wrap today's show up we'll be back either sunday afternoon or monday night with our final wrap-up episode of game set podcast for the australian open version until that time that's game set match on today's show You were listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Visit us, sportspodcastingnetwork.com.